Hey bubs, welcome back to a brand new episode of Talkin' Snicked, the best podcast there is at what it does, and what it does best is talk about Wolverine. I am your host Ryan, and for today's Two Claw Tuesday episode, we will be covering X-23 Volume 2, that is X-23 Target X. Now, if the name confuses you, that makes sense. Last week on the show, we discussed X-23's first appearances in any media, and that was in a cartoon called X-Men Evolution. Great cartoon. Go back and listen to last week's episode if you haven't, and definitely check out the show X-Men Evolution because it is well worth your time. But the two episodes that X-23 appears in in that series are called X-23 and Target X. So these three weeks, this week and the last two, are a little redundant in that the titles are all being reused here. But again, it's the same two writers that have been working on all this stuff, and they're trying to do for the comics what they did for the show uh, and taking this character and just trying to flesh her out in a way that is brand new and also extremely familiar. So... Two weeks ago, we covered X-23 Volume 1, which wasn't Laura's first appearance in the comics, but it was the story of her origin. Now, after that story had come out, uh, Laura had found herself joined up with a team of X-Men called the New X-Men. Now, the title itself was originally written by Mark Guggenheim, but after, I want to say 20, maybe it was 25, 26 issues, somewhere around there, the writing duo of Craig Kyle and Chris Yost uh, took over the writing duties for the book and quickly brought in Laura to join the team. And what happened between the end of X-23 Volume 1 and how she joined the new X-Men was a story that hadn't yet been explored. So, Starting in December of 2006 and running through to the end of May 2007, we got our second six-issue miniseries starring X-23, and that was called X-23 Target X. So this story is supposed to fill in the gap between what happened when Laura was able to escape from the facility, as we saw at the end of X-23 Volume 1, and how she ended up on the new X-Men team. The story itself is, like I said, it's six issues, although really it's about five issues for one story with a uh, sixth issue as kind of a standalone in the series and yet also part of the greater narrative that was told in this volume. So we have Craig Kyle and Chris Yost uh, tackling the writing duties. Again, Craig Kyle being the creator of X-23. We have artwork from the penciling, inking, coloring team of Mike Choi. And I may be mispronouncing that. It could be Mike Coy. Uh, but I'm just my gut is saying Mike Choi. So if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, uh, someone let me know. So again, Mike Joy and Sonia Oback. And then, of course, the series was lettered by Troy Piteri. So people might recognize the name Mike Joy and also Sonia Oback. 
They are a team from Top Cow. We've discussed an artist named Mark Silvestri in a couple episodes already of Talkin' Snicked, and Silvestri, from a Marvel fan standpoint, is famous not only for his runs on Uncanny X-Men and uh, the solo Wolverine, but also as one of seven creators that left Marvel in the early 90s to be co-founders of a third major publisher named Image Comics. And eventually, out of Image Comics spun Top Cow, which was a company that Mark Silvestri himself ran uh, characters that he had created like the darkness and Witchblade featured in this top cow brand and mike choi is a big name on the top cow family so for him coming over and working on a marvel book especially one that is like a legacy character for wolverine is uh you know a bit of poetic justice now the artwork itself is is very good it's very good artwork a big fan again it's he, you know he's kind of cut his teeth it's that same style as Silvestri and Jim Lee and Robert Liefeld that you see uh, in the early 90s Wills Portacio as well uh, Todd McFarlane you know really have not necessarily heavy as in thick line work but lots of line work lots of detail that goes into the art uh, as well as the inking and everything and I I I'm trying I'm drawing a blank as I'm recording this of uh, projects that Choi has worked on himself and I'm not even sure if he has any creator owned material I'm sure he does if he's working at Top Cow but he may not I I want to say that the reason why I know him is because he took over on Gen 13 after Jim Lee left the book but I I could be mistaken I could be uh, confusing him with another artist out there uh, but the work itself is really good. It's really crisp and clean. The pictures really pop off the page. So he was definitely a welcome addition to this book. And it was a big name to help sell in addition to the writing duo of Kyle and Yost. Uh, before we go any further, I do want to... I, I have a nitpick. Uh, in this story, we see X-23 at like three different ages. We see her at 11, at 13, and again at 15. And... Unfortunately, it continues a trend that we see in comics too often, which is uh, the characters are drawn in a way that they are a little bit more mature for their age uh, or or other things. And uh, 11-year-old Laura looks like she's like 25, and so does 13-year-old Laura, and so does 25-year-old Laura. And, I mean, it doesn't really distract from the story too much it's not inappropriate or anything but i just i feel that the characters were they just look way way older than they should i mean laura's supposed to be a teenager and i mean she looks like you know she's a supermodel in these pages which again it's fine it's there's nothing wrong with that style it it definitely brings a certain group of readers to a book uh, but it's, you know, it's unnecessary for the story. I thought that Billy Tan in X-23 Volume 1 actually did a good job of drawing Laura age-appropriate, uh, and Mike Choi does not do that, but again, that's that's kind of his style, and, and it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It just kind of can be distracting from the story when you're looking at this character that looks as if it's a lot older than what it's supposed to be. It's harder to relate to her as an 11-year-old when when she looks so much older. 
So that's just a quick nitpick, just something I wanted to point out. Uh, that being said, it doesn't take away from the story, and it's a good story. It is a very quick story, really easy read. I know that uh, all six issues are up on Marvel Unlimited, so if you subscribe to that, then you should have these ready to read at your fingertips, and I highly recommend that you do. It is a fantastic story. Like I said, it's a quick read. It's six issues, and you could knock it out in like 35 to 40 minutes worth of reading. Uh, they they do a lot of showing rather than telling, which is awesome. And the dialogue itself is very crisp and clean and right to the point. Uh, there's not a whole lot of unnecessary philosophy and waxing intellectual. But again, it's, I mean, what do you expect from a character that is a clone of our Wolverine? So the story starts off when she's... 15. So if you remember at the end of X-23 Volume 1, when she escapes from the facility, she's about 13 years old. So the story immediately takes place uh, two years after the events of X-23 Volume 1, and it immediately goes into a flashback sequence. She has been captured, and she's like, uh, she's got tape over her mouth and a bag over her head and everything like that. And all we see is like is this red glove taking the mask off and unpeeling the the tape and it just says you know are you x23 are you and that immediately takes her back to a time when she's 11 and she's going through her weapon x training so this would have been about a year after they had put her through the adamantium bonding process which i want to say dr rice forced her to go through that process when she was 10. So this would be about a year later. She's going through Weapon X training, and it's a great callback here to Weapon X from Barry Windsor Smith. We see Laura in this uh, danger room-looking training room, and there's a hologram of Weapon X himself. And the way that they train her the moves is that she's supposed to... uh, kind of join up with the hologram, kind of stand in the hologram and and move in time with the movements of the hologram. And that kind of teaches her these moves. And it's awesome because it's, you know, I I said it's Weapon X, so it's it's Wolverine with his uh, Technodrome style helmet on and all the wires and everything. And they're using like cybernetically enhanced wolves to simulate the fight that Wolverine had undergone or Weapon X, I should say, had undergone with these wolves. And you can kind of hear uh, Dr. Sutter and Dr. Rice and Dr. Kinney in the background. You can even see them as they're observing what's going on. And at first, she's keeping pace, but eventually she starts to fall back in the synchronizing of herself with this this hologram. And the, and the artwork here is, is awesome. The way that they did the hologram uh, and how they kind of overlap that with Laura is really cool. So she takes on these wolves. She starts falling behind. You can see that she's lagging by a couple of seconds. And at a point in the training where Weapon X had dispatched the two wolves, Laura has, like I said, fallen behind. And so she uh, is open to attack. She gets scratched by the wolves. uh, And then she gets bitten by one. And, you know, eventually she's able to dispatch them. But Dr. Sutter and Dr. Rice are not happy with, with what's going on. So they send in a cybernetically enhanced bear. So I love that. I just love that callback. Uh, I don't know what it is about Wolverine going up against a bear, 
uh, I guess maybe because, you know, most people, especially those of us that live in North America, uh, like the most vicious land predator that we can think of is a bear. Uh, yeah, you know, there's wolves in, in North America. We've got mountain lions and things like that. But, you know, a bear is probably the uh, the pinnacle of, you know, a land-based predator here in North America. So I guess maybe that's why we, we love seeing Wolverine. Plus we know, you know, Wolverine's a runt. He's five foot three, five foot four, going up against a nine foot bear. It's just always cool to see. And in this case, they do the same thing. They have this giant grizzly bear, uh, cybernetically enhanced. You know, they're, they're watching Laura as she's kind of regathering herself after taking out one of the wolves. And this this bear is just uh, just coming down at her real fast. And you hear at this point Dr. Sutter say, you know, if, if she's going to fail, then she's no good to me alive. So, you know, we might as well just give the test everything it's got. And she's already failing. So if she dies, then it's no big deal. Uh, but, you know, if she wins, then hey, great. So the bear comes up to Laura and it's smacking her around, knocking her into the wall. It's cut her face open. She's bleeding and everything. It hits her again, and then eventually, as it's about to move in for the killing blow, and I love there's a panel in, in this first issue where we see this bear, and he's kind of towering over this Laura who's cowering on the ground. She's got scratches on her and stuff that are healing, and we can see that her hands, her claws aren't popped, but both of her feet are kind of covered, and uh, down by the feet where they would be is the sound effect snicked, and the next panel is like you just see the bear's face with this claw sticking through it from its mouth like up through its head and uh you know she's able to use her feet claws to dispatch the bear and when she dispatches the bear it's actually like three minutes faster than weapon x's best time so even though she started off lagging and was susceptible to the wolf attack she was able to regroup and uh you know kill the wolves and the bear actually in record time and even be more efficient than than weapon x was so they end up being disappointed at the beginning of the training exercise and by the end of it actually being extremely pleased with with what she's able to do and this is when they choose to introduce a a certain character not necessarily introduce a character because she's actually a character that was introduced in the pages of New X-Men number 31 before this miniseries came out, uh, but they wanted to use this miniseries as a way to showcase her relationship with Laura. And so at this point, we see uh, this this new character for the first time. She doesn't really interact with Laura. She's just kind of there with uh, the three doctors, just kind of watching Laura with this somewhat satisfied look on her face. And so then again, it comes back into the present. We still see Laura wrapped or tied up to this chair and she's being questioned, you know, so they say, are you X-23? She says, no. Um, Someone says she's telling the truth. So they ask her something else. They find this locket that she has and they're like, who's this? And a tearful Laura says, it's Dr. Sarah Kinney. That's my mother. And then she kind of flashes back to two years before when Laura was 13 and she escaped from the facility. And we see Laura with Dr. Kinney in the snow as Dr. Kinney has passed away. And now we finally get to see, you know, what happens after 
Laura was forced into killing Dr. Kinney. And so Laura sits there, she's covered in snow, and we're not really quite sure how much time has passed. All we know is that she started off not covered in snow, and now she is covered in snow. So at least a little bit of time has passed when we start getting this sound effect on the page that indicates that helicopters are on their way. So Laura packs up all the papers that she can find that belong to her mother and take the duffel bag. And then she starts to escape when she kind of realizes that she's actually not going to be able to win. So members of the facility drop like some soldiers, like some shock troopers to come in there and subdue any survivors or whatever. And Laura ends up taking out some guards. There's a, Man, there's some great images. I might uh, post these on Twitter as you're listening to this today for Two Claw Tuesday. Just some some really fun action sequences, and I I think I should probably put these up because they're pretty good, and they're not too graphic or disturbing or anything, although she's a Wolverine clone, so they, they can get pretty bad. Uh, so she's able to dispatch a bunch of these guards, like shoot down a helicopter, and then as she's about to escape, we get to see this character that was watching her training from two years earlier. And, you know, she's another black-haired, green-eyed girl, about the same age as Laura, about the same build, maybe a little bit older, because at this point, Laura is only supposed to be about 13, and maybe Kamura is, like, in her late teens, maybe even early 20s, maybe, like, 10 years older than, than Laura at this point. But her name is Kimura, We'll get to learn a little bit more about her throughout the course of this issue. But Kimura, for those of you who don't know, she is or was the greatest adversary for Laura. She was created by the facility to counteract Laura in any way in case Laura were ever to kind of go off the deep ends. If you remember back in March, we did our Weapon X issues and one of the stories we covered was the shiva scenario which was like this robot thing that was designed to be able to subdue any of the members of team x should they ever choose to uh, go rogue so in this case the facility created kimura to be indestructible to be a master of both armed and unarmed combat and to have, I think eventually she has, uh, there's a couple other powers that are revealed, but in this, she seems to have uh, super strength, or at least enhanced strength, indestructible skin, excuse me, and uh, just this really big sadistic obsession with Laura. So she's there, eventually Laura is able to escape from the clutches of Kimura by stealing Kimura's pistol and using it to cause an avalanche. I thought that was really cool. Uh, Definitely an interesting way to escape from someone, especially someone that you know you can't defeat. Uh, So she does that. She's able to escape. Then we come back to the present day, and it's a new young girl that we haven't seen before, or at least we don't recognize right away. But she's having like a nightmare flashback of from when she was kidnapped and she wakes up and we find out it is Megan, the niece of Dr. Sarah Kinney, who was rescued by Laura when she was kidnapped 
in X-23 Volume 1. So we get to see Laura's family here. We also get to see Laura's aunt, Debbie. Uh, I want to say that their last name is Kinney as well, but I'm not entirely sure. So it's San Francisco. It's Laura. She's 14 years old now, so about a year has passed. She's managed to travel from wherever it was the facility is to San Francisco, and she's kind of been keeping tabs on her family, and after about three weeks, she decides to contact them in person, and she just kind of shows up on the doorstep, and we don't really get the whole story. All we know is that she, her aunt, then uh, introduces Megan to Laura. So Megan and Laura begin a maybe not necessarily a fast friendship. It takes a little bit of time for them to warm up to one another. Uh, but there's definitely like a recognition and an interest. I mean, you have a cousin that's the same age as you and you don't really have any friends or anything like that. Uh, it's kind of nice to maybe have, you know, a possible kindred spirit. So uh, it's, it's interesting to see their friendship blossom. But before we can do that, we actually see uh, there, it's revealed who has been interrogating Laura for this whole issue, and it turns out it's Captain America and Matt Murdock, the lawyer also known as Daredevil. So they've been trying to track down X-23 ever since she escaped as well because of you know rumors of this assassin on the loose. So that takes us into issue number two, and this issue is pretty good. Uh, I'm not going to go through you know, scene by scene like I did for the first issue. Over the next four issues, number two through five, we get more of the story. We kind of learn why Captain America is there and why he seems to be taking it personally what Laura has done as X-23. And the reason for that is, again, a callback to X-23 Volume 1 where on her first field test, Laura assassinates a presidential candidate. Well, after the assassination occurs, the building is locked down so no one can escape. Captain America himself is sent in, and when he gets to the room where the massacre happened, he finds a survivor, a young girl with crutches and leg braces who's crying and on the verge of hysteria. So he's able to take her out of the building and you know, turn her over to the EMTs and the paramedics that have arrived on the scene. And when he goes back to get like a situation report on what's going on, he finds out that no one has left the building since the massacre took place. And he's able to put two and two together and realize that this young girl that he rescued was in fact the assassin. And so he's been taking it personally ever since. And he called in uh, Matt Murdock, once he was able to capture X-23, he called in Matt Murdock to kind of help with the interrogation and make sure that everything goes according to plan. So that's kind of what they're doing there. And this whole time they're asking Laura about her crimes and whatnot. She's relating to them the story of her family and what was going on with that. So we find out that this man who her Aunt Debbie has been dating for the last year is a sleeper. He works for the facility and he's been waiting for the moment when Laura would make contact because they figured it's the only family that Laura that is out there. Laura knows about them because she helped on a mission with them in 
you know, volume one. And so they've kind of staked it out. So ever since she escaped, this man has been posing as, you know, Debbie's boyfriend and kind of weaseled his way into their life. So we get to see Laura at school and she tags along with her cousin. And eventually the two of them are able to begin their friendship after Laura's behavior gets Megan suspended. So they have like a girl's day. They go to the mall. They go to the movies. They go hang out. They just do things that friends do. Laura had already revealed to her that uh, she has claws and everything and that this trauma that Megan went through as a child isn't a dream. It's not psychotic nightmares or anything, that it's actually true and it happened. And uh, when they return home to tell Debbie, the mom, you know, what's going on, we find out that uh, this this man, Desmond, who had been posing as her boyfriend, uh, was going to feed her trigger scent. He, like, made tea that had trigger scent in it uh, as, a, as a means to psychologically torture X-23 so that they can come in and get her. And we find out that not only is he working for the facility, but he's working directly for this Kimura lady. So when they get there, uh, Megan is is worried. You know, she hadn't seen her mom all day. She knew her mom was sick. So she, like, throws the door open when she gets home, and it happens to be right when this Desmond character is walking by, and she kind of bumps into him and actually spills trigger scent all over him as well, uh, which, you know, is unfortunate for him. But naturally, it it triggers Laura. Laura immediately goes into this frenzy and and kills him. And in the meantime, you know, Megan has run upstairs. The mom, Debbie, sees what's going on and is also, you know, freaking out and stuff. And so Megan goes upstairs and she's like, did you drink the tea? You know, tell me you didn't drink the tea that had the trigger scent in it. And the mom's like, no, but, you know, I I spilled it because you guys made me jump with the scream and all that. I was afraid. And uh, so they go into like the bathroom and hide because they know that Laura is down there killing this Desmond guy and that she'll probably come upstairs next and try to kill her aunt Debbie. So Debbie and Megan hide, you know, they lock the fr- the door to the bedroom. They go into the bathroom and lock the door. And then the mom, or excuse me, the daughter Megan realizes, well, you know, it's a, it's a scent. It's a trigger scent. It's a chemical. Maybe we can wash it off. So they go in the shower with their clothes on and just turn the water at full blast and just hope that the water washes away the scent and right as Laura breaks through the door into the bathroom and, you know, pulls the shower curtain back ready to strike, the last of the trigger scent has washed away and Laura is able to get control of herself. So that was really cool. And we get to see Laura kicking butt again. There's lots of great action in here. We kind of get to see that even though Laura has escaped the facility, she's still very much uh, a pawn for them that they can manipulate so there's there's always that added little aspect to uh to the laura mythos here and i've kind of lost track of uh which issue i'm on i for all i know what i just related to you guys was issues two and three um i want to say that it was two and three because i think two ends with the dude getting the trigger sent alone so then that the next issue with the house part is the third issue. 
In the meantime, also, before this big showdown that Laura is possibly having with Kimura, we learn more about Kimura and what she does. Uh, We get to see how she was part of the person who was able to create this trigger scent within Laura. So what they did is they would expose her to the scent and then they would brutally torture her. And Kimura was, you know, since she's her handler, she's the one that oversaw all the torturing and all that. Uh, so pretty much what it what it did is it made Laura's, not as like her flight, her fight instinct from, you know, the flight or fight, uh, it uh, to the point where whenever she smelled it, it would immediately trigger that fight instinct. And so that's how the trigger, that's how the trigger scent worked. And they started doing that as early as like eight years old. So I think it was... In volume one, we learn that they start training her like at age seven. And so they start using the uh, trigger scent about eight years old and start conditioning her for that. You know, when she's eight, when she's nine, when she's 10, again and again and again and again, always Dr. Rice and Kimura. And we also learn that Kimura would punish her even if she succeeded. So we get to, to see a lot more of the relationship between Laura and Kimura and we also get to see uh, we get to see her in action. We get to see a mission of Laura in action uh, after she's like undergone the the trigger scent use. So she didn't use the trigger scent when she assassinated the presidential candidate, but in one mission that she was hired for for the kingpin, she was able to use the trigger scent to her advantage and that helped her. Uh, kill a man who could turn invisible, kill a man who couldn't be seen. I get, we get some, some really cool action there as well. I mean, there's a lot of really great action in this story. Uh, one thing that uh, Troy and Obak do here really well is is capture these scenes. Now, I don't know if Troy did the pencils and the inking and then Obak does the colors or if Obak does the inking and then Troy comes back in and does the colors or if they all kind of do a little bit of everything. Uh, but the two of them working together in this series it worked really well. In the meantime, uh, that the story is taking place had been a time where Professor Xavier had outed himself as a mutant to the public and that the Xavier Institute was a school for mutants. And it is at that point where X-23 sees a picture of Wolverine on the TV and realizes that he is at the Xavier Institute. And so she just kind of files that a way to uh, to hold on to for the future. So so that was issue two and three. In issues four and five, we actually get to see this uh, this showdown here uh, between Kimura. Actually, the uh, the part with the mom and Megan in the bathroom was actually the beginning of issue four. And so in the like second half of issue four. We get to see Laura try to escape, uh, but she doesn't realize that the enemies are so close. You know, the facility agents are already outside and we're already waiting. You know, that wasn't just the one group. That was more like the first, uh, that was the, the dude, the, the boyfriend Desmond, he was more like the first wave. And they were going to use Laura to uh, kill the family with trigger scent. And then the they were just going to come in and get her right away. And so she realizes that 
there's more agents outside. So she takes her aunt and cousin to the basement, cuts open some of the uh, water pipes, and kind of just starts flooding the basement with cold water so that it would mask their uh, body heat and body temperature and all that, and also mask their scent a little bit. And so Laura then goes back up into the house and manages to take out, I don't know how many, five, maybe ten, definitely a lot more than ten facility agents before Kimura finally comes in. So that is that is issue four. So I apologize. Yeah, it's like I said, I mean, it's a quick read. It took me like 35 minutes to read all six issues. So what is that, seven minutes, give or take? Six or seven minutes an issue. So then in issue five, we get to see the showdown between uh, Laura and Kimura, although it's not really like the, the showdowns that you'd expect between like Wolverine and Sabretooth, where Wolverine is just slicing Sabretooth up. Sabretooth is ripping open Wolverine's guts there's blood everywhere and viscera no we don't really get to see that it seems like Kimura knows that she could beat Laura physically and so she never really tries to fight her she seems to always like to torture her psychologically first and then physically second you know if she can but she doesn't really fight her she doesn't have to engage her in in combat because you know she's got indestructible skin she has enhanced health or health i've been playing video games she's got enhanced strength and she is you know a master at combat as well so she doesn't really ever engage her in battle it's more psychological torture with some some physical abuse Uh, so she actually takes laura by the neck and snaps her neck and laura is alive but you know obviously paralyzed until her body can heal with her healing factor so as she's rendered rendered immobilized, Kimura actually handcuffs her to herself. Like she takes one, handcuffs it to Laura's wrist, takes the other of the handcuffs, handcuffs it to her own wrist. That way she knows Laura won't be able to escape. And she tells her like, there's no point of even trying to cut these because these are adamantium handcuffs. And, you know, I know that you stashed your cousin and your and in the basement so let's go down and kill them and so she's trying to attack megan she's trying to shoot her she has like this crossbow and she's about to shoot her like at point blank range and laura is able to have by that point at least have gotten control back of one of her limbs and she's able to like slice the bolt uh, before it could hit megan or her mother laura tries to fight Kimura she tries to cut the handcuffs it doesn't work so she pulls in her claws and she looks at Kimura and she's like hey and Kimura's like like I'm kind of in the middle of something but what and Laura just hits her right in the stomach with her knee punches her right in the neck and she starts fighting her you know without her without her claws and it's it's getting kind of vicious, and uh, like I said, you know, Kimura's got uh, enhanced strength and indestructible skin, so eventually she's able to counter Laura and knock her down to the ground. And when she is about to kill Megan by like pushing her finger through Megan's heart, Laura kind of realizes a way to defeat her. She pops her claws, 
she cuts her own hand off and she manages to handcuff Kimura to this like really big thick pipe in the basement so I like that Laura has to outsmart Kimura in order to defeat her because she knows that she can't beat her physically she's certainly susceptible to torture from her so I like that she has to think here you know what can she do well she can cut her hand off and then use the handcuffs to lock Kimura in place she can grab her hand and kind of reattach it and let it heal back together and that's exactly what she does she's able to escape with her aunt and her cousin they take as much money and supplies that they could that uh, she had in her duffel bag and you know the last thing that she does is she cuts the gas line maybe or the electrical line or something so she cuts one of the lines and then she turns on the like freestanding light bulb in the basement and after they escape like their little house is is blown to bits and they're able to escape eventually laura is able to then take them she's able to fix their passports take debbie and megan to the border of canada and pretty much tells them you know kimura is not going to die i doubt that we killed her the facility is going to be looking for me i can't be with you guys now what you both need to do is take the money, take your passports, go into Canada, move around like every month for the first year or so, change your story every single time, and then eventually you can settle down somewhere in Canada and, and live there, and I will do my best to come back to you. But there's somewhere that I have to go where I think I can you know, avenge my legacy, give or take. So Megan and Laura have a heartfelt goodbye. Debbie pretty much says, you know, hey, I know that you think you're a weapon and I know that you think that your life is full of hate and, you know, I'm sorry that you've had to go through the things that you've had to, but, you know, your mother did tell me about you and I wasn't 100% sure what she meant, but, you know, now I do and and for what it's worth, you know, she loved you. So your your only legacy isn't about being a weapon you know you you are loved you are a person and you are loved you know we love you and and your mother loved you so that's nice you know we get some some humanizing moments of laura uh her short life up until this point she's always being manipulated as a weapon and all this so it's nice to see a different side where she gets some humanizing interaction even in the pages of new x-men at this point she was still kind of struggling with relationships and being close to people So it was good to see this little family interaction here between Laura and her aunt and cousin. So that, I mean, that kind of covers the main story. I I glazed over a lot of the uh, interactions that we have and like specific lines and things like that, because I don't think they're necessary. You know, like I had mentioned, it's a a quick read. And because of that, I don't want to go into too much detail with the specific interactions and the, the specific parts of the story. So that covers issues one through five. Like I said, it's it's pretty much a five-issue story with like one last kind of like an epilogue to it, which is issue six. And that is, I had mentioned that at one point in San Francisco, 
Laura sees the news report that Professor Xavier has outed himself as a mutant and that she sees Logan on the television at the Xavier Institute. So now she knows where it is. She knows that it's in New York and she knows that that's where she'll be able to find him. So issue six has to do with Laura tracking down Logan. She arrives at the Xavier mansion. She stalks them. You know, she stakes him out for... 24 days before she's finally noticed by Wolverine. And he uh, Logan actually catches her scent. So eventually, when he catches her scent, Logan leaves the mansion on his motorcycle with Laura tailing in a car. And he eventually rides and rides until he's at the U.S.-Canadian border. And it's secluded and by himself. And he kind of cuts this pit and builds a, a fire pit in there. And so Laura's kind of slowly stalking him and eventually she gets to the edge of this this little ravine and you know he's like quit messing around I caught your scent like an hour ago. And so she she lunges at him with her claws out, you know, we get the whole snicked snicked. And uh you know he stands up and he's like, "Look, we don't have to do this the hard way. We can do this the easy way if you want. We can talk and all this and you know, she says, no, we can't. I have to kill you and I have to kill myself. And like the first, geez, like, I don't know, 20 issue or 20 pages or so of, uh, of this issue is them fighting. It's like a double sized issue as well. So it's like almost 34, 33 pages long, not including the cover. Uh, and so there's like, 13 pages of them fighting of Laura kicking Logan's butt. She has this plan where when she cuts him open, she shoves like dirt in the wound. And because the dirt's in there, it's like slowing his healing factor. And he's not, he can't just like heal over the dirt, but it's like preventing him from, from healing all the way. And so he's actually bleeding out and she has him kind of right where she wants him on the ground here while he's bleeding out. And that's kind of where we get like the philosophical debate here between her and Logan, where she's saying, you know, we're weapons. We're only weapons. We're only used to kill. We need to die. You need to die. I need to die. We need to stop this because if we don't, you know, we're going to continue to be taken advantage of and turned against those that we love. You know, Wolverine says, that's not true. Look at me. I'm not a weapon. I'm only a weapon when I want to be. There's someone where I'm from who helped me, and I know that he can help you too. You need to come back. You know you're a person. You're not a weapon. We can help you. The X-Men can give you a home. That sort of thing. And then she's like, no. The bottom line is we're weapons. And he's like, fine. Then kill me, but don't kill yourself. Like, I'm not going to let you kill yourself, but you can kill me. That's fine. I'll sacrifice myself so that you can realize that you have worth. And, you know, Wolverine reveals to her that uh, Dr. Kinney, Dr. Sarah Kinney from X-23 Volume 1, had actually sent him a letter, which was the same letter that she had written for Laura. 
So he has all the information. He knows exactly what the facility did to her, what they made her do, all the missions that she'd been on, what Dr. Kinney was complicit with, and everything. And he kind of tells her, and he's like, look, you know, you don't have to be what what the facility wants you to be. You don't have to be what Weapon X wants you to be. You can be what your mother wanted you to be, which was a hero and a person. You know, take the letter, read it, go back to the X-Mansion. You know, and Laura's kind of saying like, well, you know, that's that's all well and good. Don't come for me, but, you know, this sounds nice. So let's do it. Let's uh, Let's go back. But then, of course, helicopters arrive, and this time it's S.H.I.E.L.D., and uh, now we get to see how Captain America had gotten her in the first place. Uh, so we see Captain America capture X-23. And you keep in mind that Logan's still at this point somewhat incapacitated. Uh, so Captain America gets her. That's when he calls Daredevil. and fi- So now, you know, it's all, it's all happened. We see, you know, when she leaves, when she tries to save her family, how she gets to the X-Mansion, how she fights Wolverine, how she gets captured by Captain America. So at the beginning, when she's being interrogated by Cap and Daredevil, that loop has been closed. So then Daredevil and Captain America get into an argument about whether or not it was her fault, whether or not she's guilty, and Daredevil says, you know, you should let her go. Captain America's like, no, that's up for a jury to decide if she's guilty or not. You know, I know that she she may be telling the truth about the trigger scent. She may be telling the truth that she didn't have any control over what she had done, uh, but that's still up for a jury to decide. So he's taking her in, and as he's taking her in, he's about to drop her off, like at the helicarrier or whatever, and he kind of realizes, like, no, I can't take you in. Daredevil's right. I have to... I have to take you to Logan, or I at least have to let you go so that you can get to Logan. And, you know, we get this little clip that's actually setting up her code name that she was going to use. I think I remember in the mid-2000s, her code name for a little while was Talon, and that was what her code name was going to be moving forward, not X-23, but Talon. Uh, and so we kind of see that the reason why she thinks that is this, there's this kid doing like nature flashcards on this bus that she's on. And the answer to one of the cards was Talon. So, I mean, I personally, I like the name X 23 better than Talon. Talon's kind of a dumb, whatever it, it didn't stick. So that's the end. I mean, that, uh, that covers that story. It's a really good story. I try I try to keep this one pretty vague about as far as like what was going on and just giving you guys a gist of the main bullet points. So now if someone asks if you're familiar with the story, you can say, yeah, you know, I, I know that story. Uh, but I've tried to not reveal as much as I can so that, uh, you know, those of you who haven't read it have the chance to go out and enjoy it because it's a great story. It adds a lot to the mythos. Uh, Kimura is a character that comes comes up quite often. Uh, especially in the pages of, you know, X-23, New X-Men, and All-New Wolverine. I also like the idea of Laura having family that she can turn to if she ever needs to. The dynamic between her and Logan gets off on the right foot, which which I enjoyed. Also, having covered this story 
and X-23 Volume 1, and then also the X-Men Evolution cartoons, you can definitely see how they were able to tell very similar stories and really just translate those ideas over into comics, but also make them more mature and, uh, you know, adult-themed for the mature comic reader. So that covers that. That was X-23 Volume 2, Target X by Craig Kyle, Chris Yost, and artwork from Mike Choi and Sonia Oback. So, Bubs, that does it for today's episode. Today was the third of five episodes of Talking Snicked in the month of May, which is Laura Month. So stay tuned next to Claw Tuesday for our next Laura-themed episode. Bubs, if you like the show and want to join the conversation, you can do that in one of several ways. You can reach out to me directly via email, talksnicked at gmail.com. That's T-A-L-K-S-N-I-K-T at gmail.com. Send me an email with requests, questions, things you liked about it, things you didn't like, suggestions, feedback, criticisms, whatever. Uh, I will try to respond to them if I can, and uh, if they're worth my while, I might even bring them up on the show. You can also reach out to me on Twitter, at Talkin' Snicked, so just the name of the show here, T-A-L-K-I-N-S-N-I-K-T, at Talkin' Snicked. Uh, You can follow me for news on the show and just general discussions about Wolverine, X-23, and any other X-Men related character. If you're wondering how you can support the show, there are different ways you can do that as well. The cheapest, freest, really easiest way is to rate or review the show on whatever podcast app it is that you use to listen to these or if you listen to them online or through a different source. I know that you can leave iTunes reviews, reviews on Apple Podcasts, I want to say you can leave reviews on Google Play and Stitcher as well. Uh, So take a couple of minutes out of your day. Leave a review of the show if you like it. Even if you don't like it, uh, leave a review. At the very least, try to give me a rating if you can. Bubs, if you like the show and you want to see the show grow, the best way you can do that is to give the show a rating on Apple Podcasts or any of the other podcast apps. The way that it works is if a person comes onto the app and thinks to themselves, I want to listen to a Wolverine podcast, they might just type in Wolverine in the search bar. Or if they're Wolverine savvy, they might type in Snicked or something like that. If they do and they use certain keywords, my show is going to show up in their search results. And the higher rated the show is, the higher it's going to appear on those lists. So one way you can try to make sure that the show grows is by rating and reviewing so that more people can find it. Now, if you want to go above and beyond and do even more than that, I have a Patreon page. It's a Patreon page devoted to growing the Talkin' Snicked community. For those of you who are not familiar, Patreon is a website where creators like myself, podcasters, musicians, artists, uh, all kinds of different creative types can 
provide their work to fans and allow outreach and to to foster a community and you can join the community with a monetary contribution there are four different tier levels that i have one dollar two dollar five dollar and ten dollar each one of them gets you some sort of reward something as simple as a shout out on the show to something elaborate as a hand-colored page from my Wolverine adult coloring book and a couple things in between. You can even influence a future episode of the show depending on what tier level you join. So stop by Patreon, check it out, join the community. I have a link to the Patreon in the show notes. Bubs, if you like the music that you've heard thus far in the show, stay tuned to the end and listen to this exclusive track called Back from the Dead. It was done by a very talented man named Jeremiah, also known as Retcon X. He is an independent musician creating music that is inspired by the X-Men, and it is good stuff. So check it out. I have a link to his Spotify playlist, his own Patreon, and his website. Bubs, one more thing. Check out on Twitter, if you haven't, this profile called At Daily X-Men Facts. At Daily X-Men Facts is run by a Twitter friend of mine named Anthony, and he provides information regarding various X-Men characters on a daily basis and he and I have teamed up for the month of May, Laura month, every Two Claw Tuesday where I release a comic book related episode. He is posting information about one of the characters from that story. So again, stop by his Twitter and check it out. That is going to do it. So... Until next time, bubs.